There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com. Your weekend home for all things sports. This is The Grill on Dubai Eye 103.8. Live from Barasti. Here's Tom Urquhart. Hey, welcome back to the third and final hour of the show. You're listening to Dubai Eye 103.8. This is The Grill. We broadcast each and every Saturday from 3 until 6. And during those hours, we often see some extraordinary sports stories unfold, none more so than today. Robbie Greenfield's watching the early kickoff in the Premier League. Not much was expected when we told you it was all about Brighton and Hove and Albion against Tottenham, but that just tells half the story, Rob. Yeah, the last 30 seconds have been a microcosm of this match because Tottenham have broken. The ball has fallen kindly to Harry Kane inside the area. He set himself for a left-footed shot and unlike Kane, the ball, or, or certainly we're not used to seeing such inaccuracy from the, the England front man, it has been hammered aimlessly over the crossbar and that just pretty much sums up Tottenham's day at the Amex Stadium. Brighton have controlled the pace of the game, they've had more possession, they've created more chances, they've been more incisive, Spurs have been stodgy, they've been lacklustre, they've been disorganised, they've defended poorly and they've made some individual howlers as well, none more so than for that opening goal. Hugo Lloris injuring himself badly in the process, he's He's injured his arm. It may be a fracture. We're, we're going to wait to see what news comes from the Frenchman in terms of the injury that he sustained. But Paolo Gazaniga has had to come on in replacement of Hugo Lloris. That was when uh, Brighton opened the scoring through uh, uh, Neil Malpe. And Aaron Connolly, the teenage striker, has added two subsequent goals to the Gloucester scoreline. It's Brighton 3, Tottenham 0. It is a shocking result. It's arguably even more shocking than the 7-2 defeat to Bayern Munich. This is Brighton. A team that would, on a run of, 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 of stodgy results themselves, on a run of draws, and just nothing has gone the way for Tottenham Hotspur. Uh, it's, it's a disappointing result, and questions are going to start to be asked of the current setup. Now, whether that means that Mauricio Pochettino will start to feel the heat in his position, or whether big changes will be made elsewhere in the club remains to be seen. Uh, it is Leganes uh, who have been beaten by Levante in the early kickoff over in La Liga. So. Uh, Levante will take the three points in that one. Still playing there in the championship and goals are plenty in that one. Yeah, it remains Fulham 2, Charlton Athletic 2 at Craven Cottage, Tom. And uh, it's been a bit of a humdinger, this one. It's been end-to-end stuff. Conor Gallagher opened the scoring for Charlton Athletic. Ivan Cavaliero equalised for Fulham. Macaulay Bond gave Charlton a 2-1 lead, but Alexander Mitrovic, the striker, has struck back for Fulham. It's 2-2. Still uh, 15 minutes of normal time remaining in that one, so still plenty of time for either of those sides to find a winning goal. What's been happening in the world of rugby today? Mark Archer has been watching on avidly. Three matches today in the Rugby World Cup in Japan. The last match completed was Japan the host taking on Samoa, and they had a massive bonus point victory. 39 points to nine, Japan has defeated Samoa. It means that they are now top of Pool A. Ireland and Scotland are both sweating nervously in second and third place in Pool A. Australia won the first match today. They defeated Uruguay 45 points to 10. Uh, it was a bonus point victory, which means they now go top of Pool D. But Wales should complete victory in the week to jump ahead of them in Pool D. And England became the first team to qualify for the quarterfinals. They haven't done that for a number of years, obviously missing out in the last event in 2015. But they had a 
comfortable win against a 14-man Argentina. 39 points to 10, they defeated Argentina. Uh, six tries uh, to one. It means that England lead Pool C. Massive match for them next weekend, next Saturday to be in fact. They will take on France. So wins today for Australia, England and your hosts, Japan in the Rugby World Cup. Six weeks away from the uh, end of season race to Dubai event right here in Dubai. Uh, points, uh, points on offer at the Spanish Open uh, today and as the, throughout the course of the weekend. Uh, let's get to Robbie to get the latest there. Would you believe the top four on the leaderboard are all Spaniards in this one? It is the Spanish Open and uh, it's taking place at the Club de Campo Villa de Madrid in Spain. Adrián Aus. Now he is a player that we've actually interviewed on this show. He's a massive hitting Spanish player. He came up through the Challenge Tour ranks and won the actual road to uh, Russell Kamer, I think last year it was, over up in uh, Rack at the Alhambra Golf Club. Tremendously talented player, and he's reached a score of 12 under par. So he leads on his own at the Spanish Open, does Adrián Aus. He's having a good first season on the European Tour. Another Spaniard, Rafa Cabrera Bello, in hot pursuit, a former winner of the Dubai Desert Classic. John Rahm, probably the biggest name in Spanish golf, is John Rahm, a, a prolific winner, a man who's won the DP World Tour Championship in the past. He's sharing third spot with Samuel Del Val. So there's your top four. Miko Corhonen and uh, Jason Scrivener are both on nine under par. The Australian Scrivener, who's had some success here in the Middle East as well. And another player in good form, Justin Harding, the South African, along with Wakim Hansen and Jens Dantorp alongside Stephen Brown. They're in a group at eight under par. But it's Adrian Aus leading the way at the Spanish Open as we progress quite deep into this third round. Uh, Robbie, uh, I want to pick your uh, vast golf, golfing knowledge and uh, feedback on, on some comments by Rory McIlroy during the week. Of course, uh, star-studded field in the Pro-Am event at the uh, Dunhill Masters. Uh, it takes place in three courses in Scotland. Rory McIlroy's come out and said that he wants the European Tour events to set the courses up more difficult. He said he's sick of coming here and shooting 16, 18 under and finish 10th or 12th. And uh, just want to get your thoughts on that. I mean, it's funny with Rory McIlroy saying that because we often see him struggle when the courses are set up difficult in difficult conditions when it's blowing. In Lynx type golf, he really seems to struggle to get his game. Yet he's come out and criticised the European Tour course setup as being too easy and too high of scoring. So I just want to get your thoughts on Rory's comments. Obviously, he's got a, a, an entitled position in the world of golf to be able to make those sorts of comments, and and and, and organisers will and the European Tour will pay some heed to them. But just want to get your take on what he said uh, during the week. I. I respect him for speaking his mind, but I, I didn't enjoy those comments and I thought they were a little bit out of place and a bit uncalled for, in all honesty. I mean, the guy's playing with his father, Jerry, in a Pro-Am event. This is a, this is a, a tournament, the Alfred Dunhill Links, which is specifically set up for amateur golfers to enjoy themselves as well. Now, OK, the pros play on different tees, but you can't set the course up too punitively because the amateurs are going to be out there all day. They'd still be playing the Alfred Dunhill links if the course set up was like a US Open, for example. So it was just an odd venue for him to make that point. And I did some, uh, some number crunching after that. And in the 37 events of last season on the PGA Tour leading up to the Tour Championship, the average winning score was 20.18 under par. On the European Tour, the average this season through 27 events is 16.46 under par. So the average winning score at the, on the European Tour circuit is actually lower or higher. I'm not sure which way you go with that, but essentially it's harder than it is on the PGA Tour. People might turn around and say, well, the players are better on the PGA Tour. There's a higher standard and therefore the scores are going to be lower. But 
I actually think there's two distinct tour, there's two distinct tiers on the PGA Tour. There's the WGCs, there's the major championships, there's the Florida Swing, there's Jack's event at the Memorial, there's various other big events sprinkled throughout the year, there's the FedEx Cup playoffs which culminate in the Tour Championship, and then there's all sorts of events like the one that we're watching at the moment over in America, the, sh uh, the sh uh, um, what's it called, the Shriners, Shriners, Hospital. Shriners Hospital for Children Open. I mean. 12 under there's four, five guys at 12 under through two rounds there which so that would indicate that the winning scores is going to be somewhere between 20 and 24 under par there's a lot of secondary events on the PGA Tour and um, I just think it's a bit unnecessary for Rory to have continual digs at the PGA the European Tour it's almost like he still harbors some kind of ill feeling or resentment towards the tour because he made the big song and dance a few a few months ago of not wanting to play European tour events anymore because he just prefers life in America and he said it's a better standard he called the European tour a stepping stone to the PGA tour so take those comments with a pinch of salt I think uh, I definitely think that um, the game is becoming more one-dimensional I agree with him on that front but on the big courses where driver it's a crash bang wallop course who does that suit it suits Rory McIlroy Question from from me to you as well, and you mentioned there about what uh, six weeks till the the, the the season ending event here in Dubai. Uh, next five weeks, tournaments being played uh, on the European Tour specifically. But is there a sort of element of, of of tapering down towards the end of a season because some of the events that we feature now don't get the big names that maybe would have seen uh, other events during the summer? Is there is there a sort of sense of end of term slowdown? In the, in the tour? A little, and then it picks up again with the, the Rolex series culminating in the so, DP yeah. World Tour Championship. So, yeah, the, the, the events around this time, th this is kind of the time because the bizarre thing about golf is that the new season for the PGA Tour has already started. So we're, we're in 2019 slash 20 for the PGA Tour. We're still in the 2019 season for the European Tour and will be until the DP World Tour Championship. But the, the, the fact that the schedule has been shuffled, that the majors have moved, I know Chris is not a fan of the major season finishing with the Open Championship in July as yeah. opposed to how it used to finish with the PGA Championship in August. He thinks that that's too narrow a, a window for golf to, to kind of grab global headlines and, and I tend to agree with him. But as a result of that, the BMW Championship has become has been able to get out of the shadow of the, the, the PGA Tour because it's moved from May until September. Mm. So we've seen that event, I think, occupy a bit more space in the calendar. And if we look at the schedule now, we've got the Italian Open next week and then the French Open, Portugal Masters. Again, these yeah. are second string European Tour events. And then the big one in China, the WGC event, that's kind of where both tours come together. It's a co-sanctioned event in China, and that's on late October. And then it's pretty big because you've got the Turkish Airlines, which is a Rolex series, I think, Nedbank Golf Challenge, and then the big one, the DP World Tour Championship. So there's still plenty of golf to be played yeah. on the European Tour circuit. And, and points available, I'm, I'm assuming, to make that last. It's 50 this year, isn't it's it? It's 50, yeah. Yeah, it's 50. So, you know, Rory, will, will, with, with all being well, he'll be playing in it. You know, he... he he did indicate that he, he wanted to drop the European Tour entirely from his schedule but had a change of heart and uh, it's not been a vintage year for the European Tour. I don't think we've seen this in terms oh. of uh, a great chance there. I think um, that was for Lucas Maurer, sorry, we're just diverting our attention from golf to the Amex Stadium. Lucas Maurer burst through for Tottenham Hotspur but couldn't convert, sums up their day thus far. They're still 3-0 down to Brighton but yeah, lots of golf still to be played. The PGA Tour's 
half asleep at the moment with yeah. some mini tournaments going on, not top string events. We won't see those until the new year, yeah. the kind of the California swing per se. But uh, yeah, it's, a, it's an odd time of the calendar for golf. And just final, a final question from me, a follow up on what you were saying a few moments ago about the Spanish Open into what the third uh, round of the Spanish Open at the moment, but being populated at the top of that leaderboard by Spaniards. Are national players obliged to play in their national tournaments, if that makes any sense? I think they are encouraged by their sponsors they are. because okay. a lot of those sponsors that would be backing Adrian Aus and Rafa Cabrera Bello and John Rahm, I would imagine there's quite a few Spanish sponsors on board yeah. with those guys and they would want their their charges to, to, to play in the home open. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't think there, there's no obligation. Golfers are free agents, you know, they can play where they want. Arch would probably know more about it than I can but than I do. But uh, as far as I'm aware, golfers pick their own schedules and there's no, although we saw recently with the British Masters having a rotation policy, yeah. Rory hosted the Irish Open. I think Justin Rose, Luke Donald, Lee Westwood and Ian Poulter took turns hosting the British Masters. But that, is the British Masters considered the National Open? I would consider the Open Championship as the, 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 the UK yeah. major, right? The UK, the, the primary, and just as, as the US Open is the, is the Open of the USA. Those two events you have to qualify for, you have to either be based on world ranking or you have to go through a qualifying process to qualify for them. When you get to the Spanish Open or the French Open or the Italian Open, I, I, I would guess players, if, if you, a lot of those players do take a bit of pride and want to win their national championships, but I think that the ones that have won them multiple times probably pick and choose their schedule a bit more accordingly. Um, I think all youngsters growing up want to at least win one of their national opens. Yeah, and but I as think they get look, more established, I think their schedules and priorities probably change. I'm sure there's but pressure as well from the organisers. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that the, the organisers of the Spanish Open would like to see Spanish players there because it'd yeah. be good for the crowds. Absolutely. And, and I think they want to be there because they're going to get cheered on all week. It's going to be a great... You know, Span Spain is a, is, a, is a big golfing nation. They love their golf. And uh, why wouldn't you, if you were Spanish, why wouldn't you want to play in the Spanish Open? I think there's a certain, a certain amount of patriotic pride in this. Um, this is a chance for, oh my word, uh, we keep uh, flicking across to the Amex <laughs> Stadium because Brighton should have scored four there. They have uh, resorted to now counter-attacking Tottenham as Tottenham try and pile forward to at least salvage something from their afternoon and Brighton have, have found themselves with a lot of numbers in the counter-attack and, uh, and should have had actually a fourth goal in that particular period of play. Are you listening to The Grill? We'll come back with cricket news for you next. This is The Grill, live from Barasti, where the game is always on. You're listening to uh, The Grill, broadcasting live from Barasti, where the game is always on. Uh, into what, last five minutes or so, Robbie Greenfield? Yeah, it's still Brighton 3, Tottenham 0, and uh, it's, it's just been a dismal, dismal day for Tottenham Hotspur. It, it, it couldn't have conceivably got any worse after losing to Bayern Munich. 7-2 during the week. They've now conceded 10 goals and scored just two in the space of the last five days. I think they've had 16 shots have Brighton on the Spurs goal to just nine from Tottenham. And every time that Tottenham have created a chance, they've found a way to, uh, to conspire to, to blow it. So it's just been a very poor day. They've lost Hugo Lloris to injury. Harry Kane has been quiet. When he has had a chance, he's fluffed his lines. And Lucas Moura, who's come on as a substitute, has been the, the liveliest player for, on the pitch for Tottenham. But even he has not been able to find the back of the net, despite having a good chance to do so just a few moments ago. Brighton in the ascendancy. Uh, it's 3-0. There's less than two minutes now to go of normal time. And the inquiries, the, 
that the inquests into what on earth is going on at Tottenham are only going to intensify after this result. You know, <laughs> we've just seen Lewis Dunk uh, get a yellow card for... Um, how do you describe that, Mark Archer? A bit of a tangle with Harry Kane? Oh, a little bit of uh, a tussle, a little bit of a uh, shirt-grabbing incident between Lewis Dunk and uh, Harry Kane, and uh, both players are having a laugh and a giggle about it now. <laughs> uh, obviously England teammates, aren't they? So uh, they know each other well. Let's turn our attention to the world of cricket, if we can. Result from earlier, plenty of uh, international T20 action going on around the world. Uh, near neighbours, Oman uh, won their game against Hong Kong by seven wickets. Uh, Hong Kong were dismal. They were uh, 96 for nine from their 20. Oman knocking them off with loads of time remaining. 97 for the loss of just three wickets from 13 overs. Ireland currently taking on the Netherlands as we speak. It's between innings. The Netherlands uh, having posted 167 for seven. Uh, in fact, result in that one as we speak with the update here. So Netherlands posting 167 for the loss of seven wickets. Ireland. Uh, they knock those off with a couple of overs remaining, 169 for four, which means Ireland win by six wickets. Pakistan take on Sri Lanka at the Gaddafi Stadium in Lahore. Uh, that one gets underway in around about eight minutes' time in the international T20, but there is a test match ongoing. There is indeed a high-scoring test match. It's the first match of a three-match series with India hosting South Africa. This first, hatch, uh, first match is at Visa Cap Anam. Uh, day four stumps uh, at, this, uh, at this stage. India seem in control of the match. A, a draw is a likely result, but India, maybe if the pitch turns, will have a chance to force victory. Big score on their first innings, 502 for seven declared. Double century to the opening batsman, Mayank Ajawal. He scored 215. Rohit Sharma, his opening partner, scored 176. Massive opening stand there between those two of 317. South Africa in reply scored 431. Dean Elgar top scored was 160, and it was a brisk 111 to the wicketkeeper batsman Quentin de Kock. So South Africa trailed by 73 runs on the first innings. India got about their business quickly on day four. Rohit Sharma backed up his first inning century with another century. He scored 127, and uh, Pajera also scored 81. At stumps, South Africa are 11 for one. So plenty of work to do to save this test match going into day five. It looks like either an Indian victory or if the, if the wicket is still flat, South Africa will do what they have to do to stay on. The man dismissed today for South Africa, it was Dean Elgar, LBW2, Rajinder Dejaheja for two. But he scored 160 in the first innings and he thinks that it was one of his better innings in test cricket. Don't want to give too much away, but yeah, I'd, I'd like to think it was, it was me trying to be a little bit more putting my stamp on my innings, um, not allowing them just to bowl to me, which has happened in the past. Um, I've learned over the last few years that um, I can play the, the spinning ball. I've played a lot of cricket around the world and developed my game in the county circuit. And that's the reason why I ultimately go and play it, to, to develop. And it's nice to see that the results and all the hard work that I've applied overseas pay off uh, in days like today and um, ultimately also be a leader within our, within our side. We've lost quite a few senior heads and our side needs some leadership and a, a few old faces stand up because we've got quite a young, young squad here. Look, any, any three-figure mark for South Africa is a massive moment for me. It's always an emotional time. It's, it's like a lot of hard graft that's happened in the past and previous series where you failed. You know, you look back in that, you, you realise that it's very special. But I think even in the trying conditions that we have, we don't experience the heat that we'd like this back home. And the wickets obviously wears, wears down quite quickly. Um, so yeah, I'd like, to, I'd like to think it was maybe my best 100 I've had for South Africa. Um, especially playing against the powerhouse of India and um, 
just showing them that uh, last time was was a little bit easier and this time I'm not going to be a pushover. That was the uh, South African opening batsman Dean Elgar. He top scored in the first innings with 160. He has been dismissed in the second innings for only two. Another century maker, in fact a double century maker for India in that first innings, Mayank Agarwal, scored 215. A massive effort by him. It was an opening partnership of 317. This is what Agarwal had to say about his first innings, double century for India. The milestone of 100 you know, put, put some, uh, some of the nerves to ease. And then, you know, obviously, having played on this wicket uh, for for some time, uh, gave gave good confidence, and and uh, I, we had good measure of the bowling. So once once we got to uh, once I got to 100, or once we got to a big score, we we just made sure that we put the pressure back on the bowlers and put away the loose balls. Uh, for me, a lot of long distance running has helped me, uh, and and also. Uh, when I was uh, when I was training before that season uh, with my coach RXR, we you know we made sure we bat five five six six hours. We had grueling sessions uh, so that you know we would we would make sure that we bat two hours to two and a half hours, then take a little break and then bat. So it is it is just preparing in that manner, preparing to play those long hours, which which has helped me combine with uh, a lot of long distance running. So those are the thoughts ahead of the, uh, the thoughts of players playing in that test match at the moment, uh, India against South Africa. Now, Mark Archer, I'm glad you're here this week. Obviously, you're out and about a uh, very uh, a well-travelled man these days. But good to have you on board because um, I need to explain the hundred to me. New tournament. We had the draft this week uh, uh, in the in the UK. Uh, the hundred is this. Well, it's this new idea by the ECB that's going to save cricket in the UK. Correct. Well, that's what uh, the ECB are hoping. Uh, obviously, there's been a call for a number of years to, for the ECB to get on the franchise cricket bandwagon. And what they've done is they've created a new franchise competition, not in the T20 format, but they've created their own format, the 100, 100 balls. So 100 balls per team, they've, uh, they've revamped the franchises, so it's no longer Yorkshire versus Nottinghamshire versus Warwickshire versus Glamorgan versus Surrey versus Middlesex, etc., etc. They've created new regional teams. And what's been quite interesting is the, um, the players that have ended up in different teams. So the different franchises went through phase one of the draft during the week. And, and the, 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 the counties had their first sort of opportunity to draft a player from their, from their home county. So if you were, say, a man from the north of England and you're from, say, Durham and Yorkshire, they were combined in, into the, to the team based in, in, in the north of England. But you could only pick one, yeah? But you had your first pick. So for the likes of that franchise, the team based in the, in, in the very north of England, the combination of Durham and Yorkshire, they had to choose and, and inevitably choose a player. You either choose the England captain, Joe Root, or you go with the man of the summer, Ben Stokes, or you go with someone like Johnny Bairstow, who's a proven T20 performer. If you didn't uh, choose one of those players, the other players then went into the pool to be chosen by other franchises. So, for example, the Yorkshire, the Leeds-based uh, franchise, well, they opted, I thought, very sensibly for probably the, the pound-for-pound best T20 cricketer in the world, Ben Stokes, bat bowler field, who's had such a big summer. They chose Stokes as their franchise player from the England setup. What that meant was that Joe Root, a born and bred Yorkshireman, got drafted by the team based in Nottingham. So he's playing for the for the team out of Trent Bridge, which meant also for another born and bred Yorkshireman like Johnny Bairstow with family connections to the club, well he's been drafted by the Cardiff Glamorgan based franchise. 
So it's been an interesting development. Um, everyone, I, mean, I guess the jury's out and let's judge it by, by the result, but there's been a lot of hype around the new format that's been uh, put together. All the England players went through their drafting this week and then all international players will also go through a drafting of the players like Mitchell Stark and Kane Williamson and maybe some of the Indian players if they're available for the competition will now come to a second round of drafting so other than that I probably can't tell you too much about the format but it is a, it's a whole new revamped look at a short form of cricket it's not not been done before the hundred is a pure invention to bring more families more 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 females into the game of cricket and sort of expose it to a what they're calling a and friendly market. I guess that's the best summary I can give you, Tom. Thanks, but um, uh, I am none the wiser, uh, <laughs> but appreciate that one. So the underdraft is, the, the big news that came out is that England all-rounder Ben Stokes was selected instead of Test Captain Joe Root for the Leeds-based Northern Superchargers. Root will play for the Nottingham-based Trent Rockets, while England fast bowler Joffre Archer will represent the Southampton-based Southern Brave. Uh, the eight new teams for next year had the chance to draft England's male Red Bull contracted players on Thursday. Uh, James Anderson, Stuart Broad were not chosen. Um, these are the franchises and these are the men who will be uh, managing or coaching uh, each of the franchises. The Manchester Originals will be coached by Simon Katic. The Northern Superchargers by Darren Lehman. Uh, Birmingham Phoenix by Andrew McDonald. Trent Rockets, Stephen Fleming. The Welsh Fire that Johnny Bairstow was drafted for, uh, but apparently likes Cardiff, so it's fine, uh, is going to be coached by Gary Kirsten. Uh, London Spirit uh, by Shane Warne. Overland Invincibles, uh, Tom Moody. And the Southern Brave by Mahela Jaya-Wardner. Yeah, let me give you this rundown of some of the players that were picked. So we've got the Birmingham Phoenix, but they've gone for the English all-rounder Chris Wokes, also, who he, he plays for uh, Warwickshire. Moen Ali, who plies his county trade for Worcestershire. Worcestershire, he's also been picked and also has Pat Brown. I don't know too much about Pat Brown, but I think he plays Worcestershire, doesn't he? He's a young uh, lad at Worcester. Yeah, he's got a massive uh, future ahead of him. Uh, I think he's, what, 20 years old or something like that? Rapid, really rapid yeah. and uh, a big prospect for the future. Yeah, London Spirit, of course, two clubs based in London. Firstly, the London Spirit. Well, they've gone for Roy Burns, Dan Lawrence and Owen Morgan. So I think that's probably the team that's going to be based, I think, maybe at the Middle Sixes ground. But yeah. then uh, mo moving down, the Manchester Originals, Joss Butler, of course, uh, very experienced T20 and white ball cricketer. Uh, he's been their first pick. Sagar Mahmood and Matt Parkinson have been picked there by the Manchester Originals. Interesting to see Jimmy Anderson not picked up yeah. in that draft there. Moving down the order, the uh, Northern Superchargers, Ben Stokes we talked about earlier was the first pick from the Northern Superchargers. So this is the Leeds-based Leeds franchise. Leeds-based team, Adol Rashid and David Willey, the left-arm seam bowler, hard-hitting batsman. He's, he's the three picks so far in the Northern Superchargers. The Oval Invincibles, you've got the two Curran brothers, Sam and Tom, and Jason Roy, you'd be expected to be picked up into that franchise. Uh, the Southern Brave, well this is an interesting setup. Joffre Archer, who's made a big impression on international cricket this year in red ball and in white ball cricket. Joffre Arch has been picked up by the Southern Brave. Chris Jordan and James Vince are the three players for the Southern Brave. Uh, Brave. The Trent Rockets, Joe Root, obviously not picked up by the, by the Northern-based team. He's been moved down there. Harry Gurney and Alex Hales are, are the three England players involved with the Trent Rockets. And then the Welsh Fire, Johnny Bairstow, who's obviously been not, not picked up in that Northern team. Tom Banton and Colin Ingram, the South African player, which is an uh, interesting setup there. So that's the three players in the uh, international draft is to come. So how come Colin Ingram gets in before the international draft? Because I think he plays for Glamorgan in county cricket, so I think they have a, an affinity there, I'm, I'm guessing. But uh, on. South Africa's Colin Ingram is the only non-England qualified player chosen so far will play for the Welsh Fire. Okay. There you go. So it will be interesting to see, and this, this competition will run next summer, and obviously it's a, it's a new format, 100 balls, 
Um, eight ball overs. Eight ball like overs. I think bowlers can can bowl all for eight consecutive balls, obviously. So it's going to be the rules and the scoring is going to be, I guess, a little bit to be. To, let's wait and see and before we judge it. But it's it, the ECB trying to uh, find a domestic uh, equivalent of, say, the the IPL or the Big Bash or one of these, these domestic franchise leagues, and they've gone about it in a, a very unique and uh, different different perspective on this. We'll chat on that in a few moments' time. Let's go to a short break when we come back. Uh, we're on the grounds with some team news ahead of the 6 o'clock kickoffs. You're listening to The Grill. Join the conversation. Text 4001 or message us for free on the Dubai Eye 103.8 app. We are live from Barrister, where the game is always on. We're going to go around the grounds and give you uh, updates on what's been happening in the world of football in a few moments' time, plus a bit of team news ahead of the six o'clock kickoffs. Um, if you are in the midst of a sporting weekend, looking to tie one on and enjoy another day in front of the sport tomorrow, is a big one down under, isn't there, Archie? Oh, a big one down under. The NRL grand final is tomorrow. It's the Sydney Roosters taking on the Canberra Raiders. Uh, which will be a massive match. The Roosters probably going in as slight favourites. They've been the form team throughout the season and they will take on the underdogs, the Canberra Raiders. It's been a long time between drinks that they've won a premiership down under in the NRL. The semi-finals or the, the, the premier finals last week as they call them down under, the Roosters got past the Melbourne Storm 14 points to 6 and the Canberra Raiders upset the Rabbitohs 16 points to 10. So tomorrow down under, uh, lock it in the diary, it's the Roosters taking on the Raiders in the NRL grand final. Uh, Novak Djokovic has been in sublime form down uh, at the Japan Open. Uh, meanwhile, former world number one Naomi Osaka has fought back to, from a set down to defeat US Open champion Bianca Andreescu in the China Open yesterday as well. So uh, the stars of tennis, both men's and women's tours, are over in China and Japan respectively uh, for the China Open and the Japan Open. It amazes me about uh, tennis. Uh, you know how we were talking earlier on, Rob, about you know golfers and them picking their which tournaments they want to play and which which they don't, etc. Uh, and, and they must be one of the best travelled or, or, or hardest travelling uh, sports uh, individuals in the world. However, tennis, it's, it's, I find it quite extraordinary when someone like Novak Djokovic is still going down to compete in the Japan Open yeah. after what has been a grueling year for him and blighted by injury as well. Yeah, it's amazing. Well, he, he obviously wants to, to win the ATP Tour finals and, and the, the, the incredible financial rewards that come with that. Not that I'm sure he needs the money. Novak Djokovic has probably earned something in the realms of half a billion dollars throughout the course of his career, so I think he's pretty okay there. But yeah, um, I, I, I love the way that tennis's season and year is actually is kind of mapped out. I, I much prefer it to, the, to, to, to golf somewhat uh, ad hoc schedule tennis the atp tour as the as the one governing body rather than having the two tours in golf the european and the pga tour just simplifies things a lot and i like the format of the thousand events the 500s and the 250s it it gives it structure and um yeah they go to acapulco they go they come here to the middle east they play in japan they play in china they play in london and they go around the, the grand slam circuit as well australia they'll be back there in january it's amazing how uh, how many miles they, these guys clock up but uh yeah, I just think tennis ha tennis has a really good, solid year-long schedule that starts, obviously, at the Australian Open and culminates in the ATP Finals. And what's interesting about the ATP Tour, I guess we can talk men's and talk, talk ladies' tennis, is sometimes on, a, on a, any given weekend there's three events at different places around the world with different ranking points and different levels. You talk there about Novak Djokovic. Obviously, he's still enjoying the travelling. He's still uh, getting around the world, but he has made... <laughs> 
prize money singles and doubles combined in his career, $135 million. You probably double yeah. that with endorsements and appearances. more than anyone, right? He's, he's the highest earning player of all time, Ooh, I, think. I think. I think he is. You get past Roger, I'll tell you, I'll tell you very shortly. But, I uh, think he is. I'm going I'm to stick my neck out. I think he has. Okay, well, there you go. But he's made a lot of money, and, he, and $135 million. You probably double that with endorsements and prize money almost, appearance money. On top of it, probably $250 million and, and, and all that. All good. But he's still happy to go down to China and uh, take a payday down there. Uh, Naomi Osaka is in action, as we speak, in fact, uh, down at the uh, China Open semi-finals stage now. Osaka is playing Caroline Wozniacki. Osaka winning the first set six games to four, and she leads 3-1 in uh, the second at present. Uh, Tsitsipas takes on Zverev in the men's singles semi-final straight after that game. Uh, earlier on today, Dominic Thiem saw off um, Karen Kashinov uh, by two sets to one in the uh, semi-final, the, men's, uh, the first of the men's singles semi-finals and in the other women's singles semi-final. Um, it, is, it was Ash Barty who came, uh, overcame Kiki Bertens in three sets, uh, winning 6-3, 3-6. 7-6 in the final. So uh, Ash Bar uh, Barty will be in the final. Will she play Asakura Wozniacki? Remains to be seen. Dominic Team is in the men's final. He'll play either Sitsipas or Zverev. And I do have an answer to that question, Robbie, and you're dead bang on as always. Novak Djokovic has the most career earnings of any current well, any tennis player of all time in the men's side of things. Yeah. Novak Djokovic, as we said, $135 million and some, and some spare change there. Just followed, not that far behind, 9 million behind him, $126 million for Roger Federer. Rafa Nadal at $115 million. And all the way back to fourth place, actually quite a big back, way back to Andy Murray at $61 million. Does Pete Sampras feature on the list? I'm he, just intrigued to know because they probably earn more in a week than Beyond Borg did in an entire career, these guys. Well, that's your top four. It's Novak Djokovic, Roger Federer, Rafa Nadal, Andy Murray. And, and Murray, the difference between Djokovic at $135 million and Andy Murray at $61 million. Pete Sampras comes in at fifth, $43 million. Surprisingly, though, this gets to where you look at how much more they earn recently. Stan Wawrinka, who you, Wawrinka, who you wouldn't sort of put in that top echelon of earnings, mm. career earnings, comes in at sixth, $33 million. There you go. Yeah, it pays to be a modern day sports man or woman. I think he's going to add a few more uh, dollars to that bank balance as well uh, over the course of this weekend because he's made it through to yet another final. Uh, he is in the uh, men's final for the Rakuten Japan Open where he will take on the Australian John Millman. Djokovic beating Goffin in the semis. Uh, Millman beating Apelka, the American in the other of the men's singles semis for the Japan Open. So that's what's been going on in the world of tennis. Um, week five of the uh, of the NFL at the moment. Uh, any major talking points that have come out of the NFL over the first five weeks of the tournament? I mean, it's such early days, isn't it's it? It's early days, but already it looks like it's the pat set for yet another Super Bowl. They've gone 3-0, and I think they've gone, in the first three weeks, and they've just been... Brilliant, absolutely purring. They, they, they rode the, the the Antonio Brown saga beautifully. Uh, I mean, uh, Bill Belichick was uh, curt, to put it mildly, with the media when questioned about why they decided to release Antonio Brown, having only acquired him uh, just a few days prior. Of course, all the off-the-field stuff going on with him, I guess they just decided they didn't need him, and they certainly didn't need the baggage. Um, Chris, Chris, uh, our colleague Chris McCarley was was saying that had, link, had, had Brown been able to link up effectively with Tom Brady, 
you may as well put them in the Super Bowl right now. But they're they're so strong, Arch, and Brady is the man who just simply does not age. Yeah, and they play in a relatively weak uh, conference as well. The AFC East is is one that they would expect to get through. They're four and zero, playing four matches a season, followed closely by the Buffalo Bills, who have won three of their matches out of the four so far. So, Patriots, you expect them to get through the AFC. But crucially, East. lost to the, the Pats. Yeah, the Buffalo, exactly. the Buffalo Bills. That that was the last weekend, wasn't exactly. it? Exactly. So Patriots, you see, tough to beat in the AFC East. Equally, with a strong start to the season in the AFC West, is the Kansas City Chiefs. Had a great year last year. They're four and zero. And again, with the Raiders, the Chargers, and the Broncos in the AFC West, it's tough to see anyone than the, than the Kansas City Chiefs progressing in, the, in that division. And then it's a bit closer. The AFC North. You've got a bunch of teams that <laughs> you kind of argue aren't. It's going to be a dogfight there between the Cleveland Browns, who have been terrible in recent years for for a long time. They're two and two. The only the, team that's never made a Super Bowl, right? There you go. And the Baltimore Baltimore Ravens are two and two. You've got the Pittsburgh Steelers, who tend to find a way, but they they are struggling this season. They've only won one of their four matches. And the Cincinnati Bengals, well, they look like a really long season for them. They've lost all four of their matches so far in the AFC North. You move down to the AFC South. Again, really close to call. The Houston Texans are two and two, and the Indianapolis Colts uh, are also all, all four teams in the South, the AFC South, are two and two. The Texans, Indianapolis Colts, Jacksonville Jaguars, and the Tennessee Titans have all won two of the matches. So it's going to be hard to pick and separate those teams in that division there as well. So incredibly lost, uh, close in the, across the AFC amongst those teams. If you switch across to the in the National Football Conference, Cowboys have started well in the, in the East. They're three and one. Eagles two and two, and the Giants are two and two. The Cowboys. That's going to be a close division. That the AFC East is very competitive. Four teams pretty well balanced there between the Cowboys, the Eagles, the Giants, and the Redskins. You move across to the West. San Francisco 49ers have only played three matches, but they've had, they've won all three. A bit of a surprise there. Seattle Seahawks had a close win a couple of days ago. They're at four and one. So the 49ers and the and the, and the Seahawks, also the Rams, will compete in the NFC West. NFC North Packers and the Bears are both three and one. And it's the Vikings, many people touted to have a really good season at the bottom of that division, are two and two. And then you move down to the NFC South, the New Orleans Saints are three and one, and they are leading the NFC South. So in the in the NFC, Cowboys are leading with the, their, their division with the 49ers, Packers and the Bears are, are tied up in the NFC North, and the Saints have a one-game lead in the NFC South. There's your uh, NFL update. Day nine of the Athletics World Championships gets underway a little later on. Uh, seven golds to be won this evening in the men's shot put, women's triple jump, women's 1500 metres, women's 5000 metres, and the women's 4x100 relay, and the men's 4x100 relay, plus the men's marathon to look forward to a little later on. The big uh, news in the last 24 hours out of the World Athletics Championships ongoing in the region is, of course, a new world record, the USA's um, uh, Delilah Mohammed set a world record for the second time this year as she won the women's 400-meter hurdles final. Uh, following much scrutiny, uh, it has uh, been the second uh, of uh, her world records uh, this year. Well, we're going to take a short break when we come back. Well, we're almost ready for more football. Premier League, plenty of games to talk about. We will ask Robbie about any team selections that caught his eye. You're listening to The Grill. More of the biggest sports stories now. On Dubai I 103.8. A uh, bit of goal over in uh, Italy. Spal have taken the early lead against Parma thanks to an Andrea 
Patagnia goal on 31. 1-0 to SPAL Spau, who are taking on Parma in the first of several games over in Italy. Uh, you have got uh, Hellas Verona taking on Sampdoria at 8 o'clock and then Genoa at home to AC Milan at 10.45 this evening. French League 1 gets underway with the big guns. PSG taking on Angers, uh, that one at 7.30. Uh, then a load of games uh, at 10 o'clock. Brest against Metz, Dijon against Strasbourg, Montpellier against Monaco, Nantes against Nice, and Toulouse taking Bordeaux. They're underway in the German Bundesliga. Late game over there, Schalke taking on Köln. A couple of goals have gone in there. Paderborn and Mainz have both uh, scored in the first 18 minutes. I suppose the biggest focus on that one, Robbie, will be the Bayern Munich game. They're taking on 1899 Hoffenheim at the moment but no goals there no no goals there but uh, yeah plenty of goals midweek for Bayern Munich and, and for a team in transition they're looking pretty good Serge Nabry who wasn't good enough wasn't deemed good enough to stay at Arsenal has suddenly become a very potent player for Bayern Munich so we talked a lot about how a lot of those players in the Bayern Munich team are coming to the end of their careers Lewandowski isn't getting any younger well, for most people's money, he's still the best number nine in Europe. So Bayern Munich, still nil-nil with, with Hoffenheim. But uh, we'll keep an eye on that one for the remainder of the last 10 minutes or so of this show. Real Madrid against Granada is off at 6 o'clock. It's been showed down here uh, at Barasti. So get yourself down here. Valencia against Alaves is a little later on. That's at 8.30 this evening. And then Osasuna entertain Villarreal from 11 o'clock this evening. But we are just, what, nine minutes away from the uh, 6 o'clock kickoffs in the Premier League. Uh, any team news jumping off the page for you, Rob? Nothing totally out of the ordinary. I mean, the big game of, of the four that will kick off at six o'clock is obviously Liverpool taking on Leicester first, taking on third in the Premier League. Leicester have been, in many ways, the form team outside of the top two of the season. Brendan Rodgers continues to do fine work there. They, they eviscerated Newcastle 5-0, didn't they, Leicester, just a week ago, and they are on fine, fine form. This is a genuine test for Liverpool at Anfield, uh, and I'll give you the team news right now. Adrian starts in goal, um, and uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold, Dejan Lovren, Virgil van Dijk and Andy Robertson will play across the back four. That is normal. That is what you would expect. James Milner comes in. Fabinho and Giorgio Wijnaldum, so they've, they've switched up the midfield a little, have Liverpool with the, the famous front three that we all expect, Mo Salah, Roberto Firmino and Sadio Mane up top for Liverpool. They are the favourites in this one, but Leicester have been on fantastic form over the course of the last few weeks. Kasper Michael begins in goal for them. They've got a back four of Ben Chilwell, Kaglas Oyunku, Johnny Evans and Ricardo Pereira. Wilfred and Didi in a kind of anchoring role and Yuri Tielsman and Dennis Pryat playing alongside him. The front three, James Madison, Harvey Barnes and that man Jamie Vardy. Can he get among the goals again at Anfield today? Well, let's go to the Watford against Sheffield United game. That also kicking off uh, at uh, six o'clock local time here in the UAE. Uh, team news has come through. Mark Archer has been scanning through it. Yeah, I've got the uh, Sheffield United sign and Chris Wilder goes with the same team that lost narrowly to league leaders Liverpool last time around in the Premier League. Henderson in goal. It's a back three of O'Connell on the left, Egan in the centre and Basham on the right. It's a packed midfield of five. Stevens, Fleck, Norwood, Lundstrom and Bulldog in the mid in the midfield. And up front, Robinson and McBurney. That's your Sheffield United starting 11. Uh, Nor 
Norwich, Aston Villa, uh, the two new, the new boys in the Premier League, of course, and it's uh, it's a game that will be played at home for Norwich, and they'll start with Michael McGovern in goal, Max Ahrens, Ibrahim Amadou, Ben Godfrey, and Jamal Lewis across the back four. Moritz Leitner and Kenny McLean will sit in the midfield behind Emiliano Buendia, Marco Stiepemann, Todd Cantwell and their main man, the guy that's been banging in the goals for the past 13 months for the Canaries, it is Timu Puki up front. They, they've already had a great start to this season, have Norwich. They've beaten famously Manchester City just a couple of weeks ago and they'll be looking to get another good result up against uh, Aston Villa today. Tom Heaton in goal, Frederick Guibert, Bourne Engels, Tyrone Mings and Matt Target playing across the back four. Connor Hurani, Marvellous Nakamba, John McGinn and uh, they'll play behind Jack Grealish, Wesley and Anwar El Ghazi, Tom. Uh, let's go to Watford now. We've heard about the Sheffield United team makeup. What about the Watford home team makeup? Yeah, Watford, uh, terrible start to the season. Then Flores under a bit of pressure there. He's made four changes to the Watford team that lost 2-0 at Wolverhampton Wanderers last weekend. I can tell that Foster's in goal. Back three of Cathcart, Prol and Cabasale in the back three. It's a midfield four of Holobus, Cleverly, Dacor and Yanmat. And then up front, Pereira playing a, uh, a false nine. And then up front leading the attack, it's uh, Welbeck and Gray. That's just starting 11 for Watford. Burnley also taking on Everton this evening. Yeah, and Everton have had a dismal start to the season. They are currently in 16th position with just seven points picked up from seven games. They're taking on Sean Dyche's Burnley, who are a more respectable 11th place. And yet, OK, it's still an early very much an early league table. They've picked up nine points from their seven games thus far. It is at Burnley at Turf Moor and uh, Burnley will start with Nick Pope in goal, Eric Peters, Ben Mee, James Tarkowski and Matthew Loughton. They'll play as a back four. Johan Goodmanson, Jeff Hendrick, Ashley Westwood and Dwight McNeil across the midfield and two up front, Chris Wood and Ashley Barnes, a player who's been in the goals this season already for Burnley. What about Everton? They've got Jordan Pickford, England's number one, in goal. Lucas Dinier, Yerry Mina, Michael Keane and Seamus Coleman across their back four. Fabian Delft sits with Morgan Schneiderlind in that midfield duo and they'll play behind Alex Awobi, Gilfie Sigurdsson, the Brazilian Richarlison behind the number nine, Dominic Calvert-Lewin. The Everton will be desperate to pick up some points and Burnley looking to continue their relatively solid start to the season. Real Madrid are going to be without defenders Nacho and Furlan Mendy. Uh, and Pacey winger Marco Asensio also missing out. All three recovering from muscle ligament injuries. Uh, for Granada midfielders, Jan Brees and Fede Vico are both out of contention due to knee and foot injuries. So Real Madrid just posting uh, their team for uh, this, uh, the, this afternoon's game. Uh, they're starting 11. Ariola in goal, Carvajal, Sergio Ramos, uh, Varane, Hazard, Cruz, Benzema, Bale, Casemiro, Valverde, and Odria Zola, Altuebi, uh, Militao, Modric, James, uh, Jovovic, and Isco, and Rodrigo are all on the bench for Mr. Zinedine Zidane, who is under a bit of pressure. Uh, I mean, I, the, the, the biggest head scratcher for me right now in football is why on earth Zinedine Zidane came back to Real Madrid. He went out on the ultimate high, he won three Champions Leagues in a row. And then he came back just as the team were set to lose Cristiano Ronaldo and go through a transition. But a little like Tottenham, most of the same players are still there. You've still got your, your, your Luka Modric's, your Tony Cruz's, your Casemiro's, you know, um, your, your, your uh, Benzema's. Gareth Bale, as we know, has fallen out of favour. Sergio Ramos still very much there. 
in the heart of the, the Real Madrid defence uh, alongside Rafael Varane, but they just don't look at the races, do Real Madrid. They drew 2-2. They did well in the end to salvage a draw in the midweek against Club Bruges, who were 2-0 up at the Bernabeu. This is a team that, that won three Champions Leagues in a row, for goodness sake. They are struggling. Zinedine Zidane, um, can he perform the miracle? Eden Hazard is yet to find his shooting boots as a Real Madrid player. Lots of talk about him returning to the Bernabeu, just not even fully match fit, not even fit, point blank, was the, the Belgium. So really difficult to see where Zinedine Zidane is going to take Real Madrid from here because they look like a team badly missing their talisman, Cristiano Ronaldo, and, uh, you know, looking like a, a little bit of an aimless, rudderless ship at the moment. Uh, the late game in the Premier League sees West Ham, who've got a nosebleed at the moment. They're up in fifth possession. Uh, they're taking on Crystal Palace. Uh, a little later on, Crystal Paris currently in ninth as well. That one's off at 8.30 this evening. So do come on down to Barasti and be a part of that. There's also plenty of games to look forward to over uh, in Scotland as well. Uh, we're about out of time on this occasion. Big thanks to each and every one of you for uh, joining us live here on the show. Thanks for those that made it down here as well. Difficult to get lost, isn't it, Mark Archer? Yeah, it's well signposted. If you're looking for something to do for the Rugby World Cup, come on down to Barasti. Big fan zone down here. Very passionate fans. We saw a lot of people down here for the matches earlier today. Of course, England defeating Argentina, 39 points to 10. And surprisingly, plenty of fans cheering on Japan. They had a great victory also against Samoa, 38 points to 19. So Brasti, get on down here over the next couple of weeks. The, the excitement in the Rugby World Cup is really hotting up now, two weeks away from the quarterfinals and uh, really looking forward to it. So head on down to Brasti. It's your place to watch the Rugby World Cup. Good on you, fella. Thanks so much indeed. Nice to see you, Arch. See you, Be back again soon. I'm back next week, actually. Are you? Yeah. Okay, before you head off Two to weeks row. Japan. Japan. Robbie's heading over to Japan as well, so you better get on that plane. We're both here at the semi-final time, so... I can't get hold of tickets, so you Can you? Do you I'll, know anyone? Yeah, I'll have a word. <laughs> yeah, it'll uh, cost you. <laughs> yeah, that's how I heard. Yeah, that's I'm biding my time. Yeah. Waiting for the last-minute offers. Lastminute.com again. Uh, thank you so much indeed, Arch. Good to see you. And Robbie Greenfield, thank you very much indeed My for pleasure, being yeah. on board. Absolute pleasure as always. Uh, all of our thoughts go out to Hugo Loris, who was the recipient of a nasty-looking injury. Just looking for a bit of uh, clarification on that one. Uh, no news uh, as yet. Uh, Mauricio Pochettino after uh, the game just saying it was a big problem. So read into that what you will. Um, Michael Owen, though, tweeting in the last couple of minutes saying, uh, sickening looking injury looks like a dislocated elbow to me. That sounds oh, agonizing yeah that's not good yeah hopefully it's it's not as serious as it looked and hopefully he's back soon but yeah it, there's the scenes as he was stretched off with oxygen being administered were not were not yeah. great cheers rob cheers uh, arch thanks so much indeed to all the team down here on the ground thanks to all the team at barasti and thanks to viva las vargas for that lovely little uh, message as well a few moments ago we'll be back next week Watch this space. We'll be back this week for sure. At what time remains to be seen, but we'll come back with details on that throughout the week. Goodbye. This is The Grill. Join the conversation. Tweet the team at Dubai Eye Sport. There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcast at DubaiEye1038.com.